Amen. Well, hey, before uh, we get started, actually, while you're getting your Bible open to John chapter 11, uh, we're going to look at it. It's a big passage this morning. We're going to be working through it. Um, and it'll probably be about a two-hour sermon, but we'll get there this morning. So uh, open up your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, uh, the translation I read from, that's Common English Bible. We've got about six of them back there. You can grab one or get on your phone, get to your Bible app, or BibleGateway.com is the website I use. You may know another. And uh, let's work through this in just a, a moment. But before we do that, a, a praise, an update. Uh, about three weeks ago, I, I made an offer for our youth pastor position to someone, and uh, this week that person accepted the position. So we have hired uh, a youth pastor, but I'm not going to tell you who that is yet. Um, we have kind of uh, a reveal. Now, some of you know this person. Uh, you just didn't have any idea we were talking. Um, so I'm going to hold it off. We'll do kind of a reveal, and we'll do something on video and stuff. We're kind of working through that. Um, uh, Pastor Stephanie came up with a great idea, so I thought, Let, let's roll with it. So just give us a little while to put that together, and uh, you'll be excited, teens uh, especially. So um, there's that. Hey, uh, my dog, Spring, who I think is 13 years old, um, and uh, when she was young, younger, she was very active. Some of you who came to Bible study at my house remember this, because uh, when Spring would get in the house, I mean, it was bonkers. It wasn't laying on the floor like in the last few years. We started to have youth ministry at my house because we had moved out of the church, the warehouse, if you remember that, and we moved into the school. For some of you who were around, you might remember that. And so youth ministry moved to my house up on Wakefield Place when we lived there. And beyond our neighbors across the street was kind of an open field, and it had cows and chickens and, and whatever else. Just kind of ran wild over there. And the very first night we were doing youth ministry at the house, we also had the men over there. They were meeting on the porch. The youth were in the house. Uh, here comes Spring, who had gotten out and ran. And by that time, we were like, I'm so tired of chasing this dog. You know, like, she'll come back, and we'll just, we'll just let it be. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how that sits with you, but Spring always came back. This time, however, Spring came back with a chicken in her mouth, like, like right there, like on the neck, She's holding this in her mouth. It didn't, nothing looks aggressive. I'm sure something aggressive happened. But she comes walking across the street with this chicken. And I'm like, I'm freaking out. The youth are out here. And, and I'm thinking, this is the first night parents are letting teens come to my house. And I've got a dog killing chickens. Well, I got to spring and tried to get spring to let this chicken go. You know how you, you, you get some treats and you try to trade you know, the, the treat, you know, like, give me my shoe, here's your, that kind of thing. But this time it was, give me the chicken. And she dropped the chicken right, like, right at the edge of these bushes where none of the youth could see where she dropped them. And I'm like, well, goodness, great, you know, and I'm just over there kind of, you know, pushing this chicken, because I got to get youth group started here. And the chicken was moving, but I'm like, when, like, when I come back out here, I'm going to have to come with a trash bag. This is, you know, this is it for this chicken, unfortunately. I came back after youth group, hour and 15 minutes later, that chicken was gone, so gone. And I, I don't know what happened with the chicken. There was only six houses on the street. To my knowledge, only one other house had a dog, and that dog was about this big. So it was like, I don't think it was another, you know, maybe a big bird or something. I couldn't figure out. So for a couple nights, I laid in my bed thinking, God, God, did you raise that chicken from the dead? 
Like, I mean, that is my, like, I think, I think you healed, the, I think you raised that chicken from the dead, and I'm a pastor, Kevin, you understand this, right? I'm a, so that's a sermon illustration, is what the Lord is giving me, of, of a chicken being raised from the dead, and back to life, and I picture that chicken went across the street, I don't know if chickens have that kind of memory to get themselves back home, but, um, but if the Lord can heal that chicken, the Lord can get that chicken back home, and she just roamed for the rest of her days, maybe still out there with the cows roaming. At least that's what I'm thinking, right? Probably not. Because how many times have you seen something raised from the dead? N never, right? Never. Maybe figuratively we use that term, but never literally. The story today is a literal telling of a raising from the dead. But get this. It's not the most important point Jesus is getting at in this story. You know the story. Lazarus is raised from the dead. He's in the tomb. He's dead. His sisters think he stinks. And Jesus says to come out, he is raised from the dead. And yet, it's not the most important point Jesus is getting at in this story. So let's just jump into it. Now, here's the first thing I want you to do. If you have your sermon notes, this is what you need to do. Notice on the notes, it goes point one, two, three, four, and five. Now, you might be thinking, this is not a very good pastor, because you're supposed to only have how many points, Pastor Kevin? Three points, and they're supposed to all have the same letter, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that doesn't work here. Here's why. These are big chunks of passages this morning. In fact, in total, this is... Chapter 11, 1 through 57, that's the whole chapter. Then chapter uh, 12, in the first few verses of chapter 12. Here's why 1 through 5. You can take your pen if you need to remind yourself. On 1, above that right, Monday. Then Tuesday on 2, then Wednesday. These chunks of scripture, these are your devotions for the week. This is for you to go back to now, because you'll notice I'm going to hit a couple aspects of it. I will not hit all the verses, and there's so many things in here. In fact, you might sit there and go, "How did he? why did he miss this? Why did he skip over this? Well, um, because you don't want it to be two and a half hours, and even more importantly, for your own time to get into God's Word uh, during the week. So, right Monday through Friday on those, and, uh, and I guess you can find something else on Saturday. Let's just jump into this. Chapter 11, starting in verse 1. We read that Lazarus is ill. That's what's going on here. It's a, a man named Lazarus. Uh, they were friends. Uh, there was a connection Jesus had with Lazarus, with Martha and Mary, these, these siblings. There was some connection and some relationship that they had. In fact, it must have been even different than the disciples, though there was a friendship there. Um, but there, there had to be some form of, of connection, friendship, uh, however long that happened, scholars kind of disagree where all that came from, and even if Mary, the name Mary here that, that pops up is connected with all the other Marys except for Jesus' mother, uh, or if it's different Marys. And here's what we have to remember on that, is if today I told you, yeah, Chris and I went and played golf, you wouldn't right away go, oh, Chris, okay, knowing, because we have about four Chris's in the church. You would follow up and you would ask what question? Which Chris? Yeah. And the same thing happens in the Bible. So if you read John, all right, don't immediately think, oh, John, that's the disciple John. Ask the question, which John? And the same thing is here. So scholars disagree 
on this Mary thing. If you're into that, to figuring out, to get that concrete for you, feel free to go and study that on your own, but it doesn't really change our scripture and what we're looking at this morning. So what happens here is, is Lazarus is sick, and the word comes to Jesus, who's not with them, that he's sick. And it must have been there, the understanding must have been, this is serious. This, this illness is serious. So like often when people call me and say, hey, so-and-so's sick, I could be like, all right, they got a cold? What would you like me to do as pastor for them? Oh, or they're saying, hey, they're, they're calling hospice in, and they're asking the family to come. Uh, that's two totally different understandings of what I do as a pastor and how I interact, and probably you as a friend when you hear that. There must have been some understanding here that this was serious because it seems like they're like, um, Jesus, are we going to go? Or what's, what's ha-? you know, it seems like Jesus being with his friend was the common reaction. But it doesn't. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus doesn't go. But what we do find here is that Jesus actually seems to indicate that this illness, however serious it is, will actually be for God's glory or for the Son of God's glory. We find that in verse 4, that this actually happens to be glorified. I skipped over that number one. I know that's going to cause some of you anxiety in your blanks, so let me go back here. Jesus sets the, the event up for a reason. There's a reason behind this, and there's a reason John is telling us this story. And Jesus says in verse 4, this happened for God to be, what's the word? Glorified. Glorified. Now, again, we take Christian words sometimes, and we just throw them all together as if they all have the same meaning, but the word glorified means to be lifted up, to be raised up. So when somebody is glorified, there is some form of lifting up or raising up that happens here. So God's glory, God is going to be, and the Son of God is going to be somehow lifted up and somehow glorified, raised up because of this illness here. And so uh, the disciples, when Jesus talks uh, about this, the disciples take a look at, at verse 8 if you have it open. The disciples remind Jesus, listen, Jesus, if we go there, it's trouble for us. The Jewish opposition wants to stone you, and you want to go back there. So they're indicating, uh, I understand he's sick. I understand this seems to be serious. But we can't go back there. Now, notice if you look in there, they're kind of jumping to a conclusion anyway that Jesus was going to go at that moment. But clearly, Fearing for their life and Jesus for his, that was a big deal. And Jesus has an interesting response. Take a look at it in verse 9. Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Now, you might be going, that's not right. There's, there's more than 12, right? There's 24 hours in a day, right? Well, he's referring to the daylight. So when he says day, he's referring to the light. And even though I know for some of you who track these things, it's probably not exactly 12 hours of light during the day, but that was the understanding, 12 hours of light, 12 hours of darkness. And so Jesus is saying, isn't there 12 hours of light in the day? Whoever walks in the day doesn't stumble because they see the light of the world, but whoever walks in the night does stumble because the light isn't in them. 
This again is Jesus starting to talk on a couple different levels. We've seen this all throughout John. And not just in the day we can see, we can travel, but Jesus is saying like in the daytime when the light is here and he's already many times compared himself to being the light, when the light is here, when you're walking in the light, you don't have to fear the darkness. You're not gonna stumble like you would during the dark. He's saying for this occasion, we are okay, we're protected, we're fine, because it's light. It's light. This is the period of light. Now, draw yourself back to early on in John where Jesus starts to say things like, my time has not yet come. He says that in John chapter 3 for the first time, and it continues on. And he talks about walking in light, walking in darkness. And what Jesus is getting at here, he is saying, look, my time hasn't come yet, so we're okay to go and to do this. This is the calling of God for us to do this. But he's also indicating there will be a time when we hit that 12th hour, when a, a, a time of darkness comes, when you won't be with me. And he's alluding to his arrest and then, of course, his crucifixion. We'll get to that next week when it comes out of Jesus' mouth. So day versus night is our understanding there, all right? So Jesus sets this up for a reason. He says, look, so we're okay. We can go. And our friend Lazarus, of course, he says he's sleeping. They don't understand what he's saying. He comes back and says, look, guys, he's dead, okay? I want you to make sure you really understand because when you see what God is going to do here, it's going to challenge you to a different form of belief, I'm thinking about this this week. As Jesus sets this up for a reason, does this work out in your life this way? I bet it does. That things are set up for a reason. There's different things that happen in our life, and there's actually a reason. Now, I'm not one, and I've told this to you before, and I don't think the Bible supports all things happen for a reason. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's not a biblical phrase at all, right? If somebody says, I'm going to choose to sin, to disobey God, uh, it, God didn't will that to happen. So God doesn't will everything like that to happen um, in that sense. But all things God can work in and through everything that happens. But clearly there are times where God orchestrates things to happen. He orchestrates different patterns in our life or people to be in front of us at the right time or to say the right thing or the right offer comes along at the right time those type of things. And here's what I was thinking this week for myself as well. The challenge would be to find God's reason in something before my gripes. You think about it that way? Finding God's reason before your gripes. Are you much of a griper on situations? We were just talking about it yesterday as we drove. We were driving the oldest and the most miles of our vehicle right? The one that most sounds like a tank, right? We were driving yesterday. We were driving it down to Denton, uh, North Carolina yesterday. And uh, the reason we were driving this older tank sounding car is because it was the only one I could trust to go out of the city limits or out of AAA towing distance, right? Because the other ones, even though they look newer, nicer, less miles, there was something wrong with each of them. However, when we received this older, high-mileage, tankish car, I griped a little bit. 
I'm like, what am I going to do with this thing? <laughs> I guess I'll just sit it in the driveway, and I'll just let it sit there. And if somebody needs it down the road, what, you know, um, oh, we needed a car for TC to go to college in. Oh, I'm not going to send them in that. It's crazy. You know, Lord, what, there was a, a, a griping that went on. And here I am today with my, <laughs> my decent car in the shop with transmission, and I'm driving this car and thinking, Lord, thank you for your provision. We put a little bit of, of money into it, fixed it up a little bit, <laughs> fixed it up, um, and we're actually sending it, we are sending it with TC to college this week. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I mean, you knew a year ago when this fell in our lap, and I've been griping up till now. Do, do you find yourself in that situation ever? The challenge would be find God's reason before your gripes. You know what? It, it leads to belief is what it does. It leads to a deeper form of belief. And do you notice what Jesus said? He'll say it a couple times, that they would believe. Verse 15. Well, they already believed. There was followers, right? No, he's challenging them. You will believe even more. Remember we said in John, when they talk about believe, it's believing on the last thing that's said or done. And so there's constant challenge to go deeper. And that's what finding God's reason is. Okay, second uh, thing. This would be you Tuesday morning to open this up and work through. We find that Jesus comforts even as he knows his plan. Even as he knows what's going on here and what he's going to do in the situation. We find that Martha and Mary, verse 21 and 32, they both say, Lord, if you had been here it would have been different. They have this level of belief that he could have healed Lazarus. He could have taken care of them. Something would have happened. That's where their belief is that if only you had been here. Now, from Martha, however, we actually find that she still believes Jesus can do something, even with him in the grave. And so Martha is actually stepping up to say, I believe something even greater about you, Jesus, that you're, what you're capable of of here. So Lord, if you'd just been here. You say that ever? Lord, if you'd just if you'd just been here. You know, that wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen in our our family or that person wouldn't have done that or said that or did that. We find that even though Jesus knows his plan here, he is moved by Mary and Martha's compassion. He's moved by their sadness. He's moved by their brokenness. Even though he knows what he's about to do for their brother, he is moved by what they are walking through and needing to walk through. Why? Because he knows we have to walk through hard things. I, I mean, what we want often, we want a God and a religion without hardships, right? Wouldn't that be nice? You didn't have any hardships to go through? But whose God is that? It's not our God. In fact, our God promised it. It's that we are giving a comforter to walk with us. And so here in verse 35, we find the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So if you want to memorize one today and be excited about memorizing a verse, you probably got that down right now. But I'll tell you like my Sunday school teacher used to tell, if you can't give the reference and the address, she used to say address, you can't give the address, you don't have it memorized. That's what she used to say. So Jesus wept, John eleven thirty-five. boom, you've done it today. Jesus is compassionate that they're going through this. And you know what? I think the same is true for you and I. Jesus is not rattled by what you're going through or what hurts you today, the harm, the difficulty you're walking through. He's not rattled by your financial decisions, even if you created them. 
not rattled by any of that, but he is moved by it. And he has compassion on us, as he did here. So the challenge would be that we would recognize the comfort of Jesus. It's not the removal of hardship, it's the comfort within it. You know what I've noticed over the years, and this is interesting, not for everybody, but let me give you generalizations. When pre-Christians or non-Christians, those who don't know Jesus, have a hardship that affects their life, they reach out. Please pray. They might even show up to church. They certainly ask me as a pastor for some maybe spiritual counseling or at least ask some questions. But I've grieved so many times where I've watched Christians, when they go through hardships, they draw away. I don't want to go to church today. I don't want people asking me questions about that. I don't know what God is up to. I don't know what God is doing. I'm a little frustrated with him right now. You know, God is big enough to handle all of that. If you're frustrated in those, all, all of it, all of it. It's like Mary and Martha saying, Lord, if you'd only been here. But God wants you to stay, wants you to stay with him that you might receive his comfort. The comfort Jesus has to offer, the comfort a church family has to offer, and to care for you right in the middle of it. So Christians, let me challenge you, don't draw away in your hardships. Recognize the comfort of Jesus. Let's look at the third one. This is your Wednesday. Jesus raises Lazarus as a foreshadowing of himself. Now we're actually going to get to Jesus' main point here, what Jesus is actually trying to describe here. This is the key, not just raising Lazarus, though he does it, but he wants to speak something else about himself. Take a look at verse 40. He actually says, if you believe, you'll see God's glory. Now, it's very interesting he would use this here. If you would believe, hey, roll that stone away. God, Jesus, it's been a few days. Do you understand how much it's going to stink if we roll that stone away? Now, I don't have any experience with that, so uh, maybe you do. But they're like, we, we, we can't do that. And Jesus says, then, if you believe, you'll see God's glory. What does the word glory mean? Lifting up or raising up. It's interesting he'd choose that to say, because what is he going to do in verse 43? He's going to call into Lazarus, and he is going to say, Lazarus, come forth. He is going to speak into Lazarus, and Lazarus himself will be glorified. He will be lifted up and raised up and to come out of that tomb. Lazarus is pulled out of this darkness. That's what the cave would have been, completely dark. In fact, some of you uh, old Christian music lovers uh, out here, you probably remember Carmen's song you know, for, about Lazarus. Any of you remember? Ray remembers because you would have played it at your bookstore. Sandra, you remember that? So just a young buck like you remembers that song? Yeah. I mean, it's about as 80s as it gets if you go back and listen to it, early 80s. I don't think there's any capability of contemporizing it, so um, you have to just go with what it is. But you can look it up. And, uh, but there's a dramatic rendition of, of Lazarus come forth. And it is lifting up, come out of the darkness. Like what Jesus is literally doing is saying, come out of the darkness. Death no longer has a hold on you. You are alive. And he comes out, and of course, he's all tied up still with the linen, the cloths, of the burial cloths. And Jesus says, untie him, because he's not dead anymore, Right? And Jesus is speaking into this. Come out of the darkness, untie him. Death 
darkness, they will not bind you anymore. At least in Lazarus, he's saying literally death and darkness is not your final story. Lazarus, not today. Come forth. But Jesus is speaking something larger. He's speaking and foreshadowing about what he will do, what will happen with him. And he is doing in a literal way here, he is describing, look, I have authority even over death. I decide that death doesn't have the final word, that you come out and you are alive, and I'll draw you out of the darkness. That's been what John has been telling us up till now, light and darkness. God's glory is about replacing darkness with light. And in this case, it is bringing Lazarus forth. Very soon, it's Jesus who will go to the cross. Jesus who will experience death. And you will remember Jesus who overcomes all of that. So Jesus is foreshadowing what is to come. We actually understand and we'll see Mary gets it. She gets a glimpse of this. But hold on to that. We'll come back to it. Thursday, the religious leaders, this is for you on Thursday morning in uh, chapter 11, verse 47. The religious leaders, the response to this, Jesus raising somebody from the dead, they believe all over the place, as you can imagine, they would believe. Let's just say for a second, I went out and got that chicken out of Spring's mouth, and I didn't kick it into the bush, but I prayed over that chicken. And that chicken came back to life and just started running around. Now, again, I'm still believing it happened uh, without me having prayed. But what, what if that had happened and people had seen that? Well, probably a pretty good number of, of followers. Pretty good. Maybe church might have been packed that next week. So you can imagine Jesus' popularity instantly. And so what do the religious leaders say? The religious leaders are like, man, we've we got to do something or everyone is going to believe in him, verse 46. The religious leaders we find in Jesus actually agree on a plan, but very different results. They actually agree on this. Take a look at the plan. It's in verse 50. One of the religious leaders in verse 50 says this, you don't see that it's better for one man to die for the people. And Jesus is like, totally agree. Totally, you're one man to die for the people. Jesus has been saying up till now, that's a reason I came. I came directed by God. And this religious leader is saying, hey, it'd be great. Instead of this whole nation being disrupted by this guy, if we just take him out now. And Jesus says, well, that's part of the plan. Part of the plan. So they agree, but for very different results. What are the religious leaders trying to do? They're trying to, to kill Jesus or else the whole nation will be destroyed. And Jesus is saying here, I came to die, verse 52, for the whole nation. That my death will actually result in the opposite of what you want. That my name will go out and there will be believers everywhere in the nation. And salvation will be available for everyone. It will only increase if you kill me. So very different results that they would hope and to see happen in this. And the reminder for us is that Jesus died to offer something to you as well. Life, what he came to offer in his death, salvation given to everyone to save 
just as he sang here. Listen, you got to pick up on this, that Jesus is saying, if he will go die, it will save the nation. But very differently than, what, than how the religious leaders thought he would save it. That Jesus is saying, listen, uh, that I will win for the whole nation, but it's not going to be in my power, at least not in power that we think. It's not going to be in my like victorious conquering, at least not in the way you would think somebody would conquer, not in my authority leadership, you know, in some like king role that you would think earthly wise, not in any political. Listen, if you're putting your faith and hope right now that Jesus's name would be spread and your faith and hope is in our political system or in some candidate, you know, forget about it. Listen to what Jesus how he did this. It wasn't those routes. It was in offering himself up. So Jesus still has something to offer you. It's life through his death. Now Mary gets this to some degree here. And in number five here, you mark it for Friday. In verse 12, or chapter 12 now, we find that just before the Passover, so this is likely a little bit later, we don't know the exact time, but this is a little bit later. Just before the Passover is going to begin, Jesus is now in the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And we find that Mary takes a very expensive perfume and she anoints Jesus' feet with it and she wipes, she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, there would have been some reasons for this. Uh, some reasons to have oil on hand. It, uh, oil was used to anoint a king, but that wouldn't normally be the, the, the common person doing the anointing, so not likely she had it for that purpose. Uh, there was some anointing that happened of oil in some religious services, but that was usually the priest that would use the oil, not people that came to worship. So it wasn't likely that reason. Oil was often in the home it was there in the home because you would use it if somebody passed away in your family. You would use it to anoint the body. It helped practically so the body didn't smell quite as much, um, but it also was ceremonial as well. And this you would, a common person would have this in their home. So it's very possible she had this this amount. Now, this is not a large amount that she had, even though Judas speaks up and says it's expensive. It is expensive, but what she used wasn't a huge amount here, and it's possible she just didn't have that much left over since Lazarus had just died and come back. But she recognized the need to anoint Jesus in this way, and she chooses to do it the way you would do it as a servant for someone. You wash their feet we know the story of Jesus washing feet. That would be the most famous foot washing. But she chooses to do it in this way, to anoint him. Some biblical scholars say she is anointing his feet in the sense of she's anointing his mission and where he would go and what he's going to do for God. And so biblical scholars don't all line up and agree on this. But this is the reason she would likely have this oil. So it's very possible Mary is picking up on this idea of Jesus speaking about my time is coming and what could be happening. And there's significant danger for Jesus everywhere he goes now. 
Now, he's chastised. Hey, we could have sold that. We could have used that for the poor. It sounds very good to say that, right? You know, why would we do that? We're just wasting that. And Jesus responds in a way that probably through the disciples, or at very least Judas, who spoke that. He says, this is used in preparation for what? My burial. This is how she's used it. You'll always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Jesus, whether Mary fully understood or not, Jesus puts the stamp on it to say, this signifies the anointing for my burial. And he's speaking for the first time much clearer in John that when I say my time has come, it involves my death as well. In the poor always be with you, but you won't always have me. My time is coming near. Jesus is saying here, I'm prepped for my burial. I won't always be with you. The challenge for us, just like Mary picked up on it and saw, is while Jesus is near, you draw near. When Jesus is near, you draw near to Jesus. Now, we think about it differently, don't we? We think we, we always have Jesus. Jesus is always with us. Well, great. That means we always get to draw near to him. There's always the ability to come near. But here Jesus is saying, it is more important for you to be with me, to receive what I have to offer, than to even go out and serve the poor right now, to receive from me. Do you ever get going on serving and helping and you forget spending time with Jesus yourself? Like, I mean, this is, it's not an either or thing. Jesus is saying, look, draw near, be near to me. It is out of being near to Jesus that we go out and we serve and care for people in that as well. Lazarus must understood as well because it says just a little bit later, it was Lazarus who was responsible for many people coming to know Jesus. And in fact, because of this, the religious leaders, have you ever noticed this, were seeking to kill Lazarus as well. He was just as dangerous in their view as Jesus. In fact, anyone who believed in Jesus was somebody who the chief priests were either keeping their eye on or they were seeking to destroy as well. So that is what's going on at this time. Can you see, if you look at Mary and Martha and even Lazarus here at the end, how significant Jesus was in their life? So a question here in this story, and there'll be so much more for you to look at on your own this week. Where are you placing Jesus in your life? Where is his point of significance for you? Maybe it's for you. You're saying, Lord, if you had only been here, but you haven't followed it up with declaring that you still will be faithful to him. Maybe it's... Uh, getting caught up in the gripes and not seeing the reasons. Maybe it's forgetting that God wants to replace darkness with life, that Jesus has something to offer you in his life, or that Jesus is near, Jesus is available, and you haven't drawn near to him. Where are you placing Jesus in your life? I'll let you ponder that as we go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you draw near to us, and we think so often in that term, we sing in those terms, but Father, it takes something of us too, a willingness to draw near to you. Lord, there are times where I think you can sit right next to it, if we think metaphorically, right next to us, 
and we can move about our day without interacting with you. But would we draw near? Would we learn from this story? Or do you have a reason for lots of things to find how you're working before we go to our gripes? It's so easy. Father, help us to recognize the comfort you have to offer. Right in the middle of our hardship, then maybe even before we pray away our hardship, that we would pray and ask for your comfort to come and your comfort to be near. It seems, Lord, you work more that way than just simply removing the hardship. Lord, we realize that we have lots of people in our life that are walking in darkness, as last week's passage told us, and that it's us who has the ability to offer them the life that you've shared with us. So, Lord, challenge us with the question, where are we placing you in our life? It's impossible, Lord, for you to be the priority and an afterthought at the same time. So lead us in that.